From Audio Boom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Welcome to Travel First with Chris Coleman and Alex First. Welcome again to Travel First with me, Alex First, and my good mate, Chris Coleman. G'day, Chris. Greetings to you, Alex. Today we are heading a long way north, a long, long, long way north from Australia, in fact. We are going to Scotland, and I'm telling you, in a heartbeat, I would be back there because it is a splendid place to visit, something that I have wanted to do, well, all my life, because people have raved to me about how special it is. It is picturesque. Architecturally, it is amazing the beautiful greens of the grasses. Obviously, there's a little bit of precipitation from time to time. That only aids the vista. So we were in London and we left some of our belongings at the Rubens, which is where we were staying, and then headed to Stansted Airport. Now, that was extremely cost-effective. We paid, my wife and I, $100 Australian for an EasyJet flight to Edinburgh, that left at nine in the morning. I thought that was very, very, very cheap because it was a return journey for two people. That's not bad. Yeah. I tell you what, London, Edinburgh return. So 50 bucks Aussie for me and 50 bucks Aussie for my wife. I thought that was very special. What's that in distance terms? Roughly, it'd be what, Sydney to Melbourne distance terms? Yeah, look, we basically, it was an hour and a half. So Sydney, Melbourne, absolutely. Yeah. So we caught a tube to Victoria Station and then the above ground train took 45 minutes to reach Stansted Airport. And then we basically arrived in Edinburgh 90 minutes after we departed. So Before you get to, to Edinburgh, can I just ask, what's Stansted Airport like? Because when I was living in the UK, Stansted was very much a, a tiny airport and it was one that they said, uh, this is going to be London's third or fourth airport by the time uh, the turn of the century comes. And uh, it, it has obviously kicked along in leaps and bounds. What's it like yeah. as, as a traveller facility? Yeah, uh, no problems at all. In fact, check-in took 10 minutes and and that was that was it. I mean, people said, "Oh, you've got to get there nice and early." Not for our not for our particular <laughs> journey. It was it was absolutely magnificent. We'd we'd got perfect seats in in sort of three A and you know very close to the front of the aircraft. It, we couldn't have had a better experience, to be honest, at Stansted. Now, obviously, it depends on the time of day. It depends on how busy you are. But it was no different to any other airport that I had experienced, and it was a favourable outcome, a very favourable outcome. So I, I was delighted. If you don't have to wait at an airport, if you don't have to queue, you're doing extremely well. <laughs> well, mark that one down as a win and a big thumbs up for, for Stansted Airport if they managed to get you through uh, that quickly. I love that. The check-in only took 10 minutes. I don't think I've ever... In all my years on this earth and all the places I've travelled, I don't think I've ever had a check-in wait of, of that short. Well, what we ended up doing, we had to while away the time because we arrived so far before departure and we, we just looked through at the, the duty-free shops. 
So it was uh, it was pretty nice. It was, in fact, uh, a very, very pleasant experience. Once in Scotland, we were picked up by a driver as arranged by Visit Scotland because Visit Scotland, if you want to find anything out about it, that's the best place to go. And we were driven to our hotel. Now, there's an interesting story behind the hotel. It's called the May Maison, so M-A-I-M-A-I-S-O-N, and it's in Leith. And it used to be... Mm, a house of ill repute, shall I say. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, at, at some stage in my life, I figured that I, I had to stay in a house of ill repute. No, now it's it's the best of best accommodation establishments in the Scottish capital. It, it really is. So <laughs> it, it was a former seaman's mission built in 1883 with 100 rooms and suites. Ours overlooked the harbour. It was just Fabulous, really fabulous. So we, we put down our bags and the first thing I noticed, even not just the May May song, which is beautiful architecturally, as you can imagine, but the architecture of Edinburgh overall is a feature. And we drop our bags, we head straight to Edinburgh Castle. Of course we did. It, it's a 10-minute bus ride and at the Princely Summit, it's three bucks or you can purchase a day ticket for the equivalent of $7, right, just to give you some idea of how inexpensive it is. Well, so they know how to get tourism right. Yeah, they do, absolutely. So each trip, 3 bucks or 7 bucks for the day. Scotland's number one visitor attraction is Edinburgh Castle, which sits on its own volcanic rock at the top of the Royal Mile, which since, and I love this, since the 11th century has stretched between the castle and Holyrood House, which is the Queen's official residence in Scotland. Well, I'd like to be a king and have residences scattered in the Commonwealth countries. That would be kind of nice. Oh, you're just the king of the travel podcast. You'll have to make do oh, with that. Oh, oh, there you go. <laughs> but it, this this Royal Mile, we walked it several times while we're while we're in Edinburgh, and and it's rather special. Now, apart from offering spectacular views of Edinburgh which it really does, the castle is home to the Scottish crown jewels. It was a brilliant way to be introduced to Edinburgh, I might say, to go to Edinburgh Castle. That, that should be number one on your list. I, I, I think that you then get the feel for how special the place is, just walking there as well, going up the Golden Mile. In the late afternoon, we were given a great insight into the origins of our Edinburgh. We took a tour of what, what's termed the Blair Street Underground Vaults. Right, Blair Street Underground Vaults, courtesy of Meerkat Tours, M-E-R-C-A-T, Meerkat Tours, who have exclusive rights to the vaults. We got to see in here about artefacts from the 19th century, when and why the vaults were built, by whom and for what purpose. The guide told us about the history of the underground vaults, the deepest, largest and most extensive in the city. And she also gave us insights into the people who lived and worked there in bygone days. Fascinating, most worthwhile hour and a quarter walking tour. And it's a maximum of 30 people on any given tour. So they also, Mercat Tours, also offer ghost tours and other history walks. So worth checking them out at mercattours.com. Now, these, these vaults, they stretch for miles, or it yeah. seems like miles underneath, don't they? Yeah, they do. They do. And again, I've deliberately been a little cautious in terms of what I haven't told you, because I want you to go and see it when you go to, or you and anybody else, when you go to Edinburgh. Definitely worth taking a tour, though. Mercat Tours, M-E-R-C-A-T, tours. 
com. It'll sort of give you some further details and information about how you can do what we did, the Blair Street Underground Vaults. Had we more time, we would have done the ghost tour. I, I think that would have been most worthwhile as well. I, look, I like living history, and when you're actually walking through what people, where people lived, I mean, that, that in itself is rather special, especially when we're talking a couple of centuries ago. So that was the first day or part of a day in Edinburgh. In the morning, we set off to scale the, this is the following morning, of course, the distinctive rock called Arthur's Seat, not the Arthur's Seat in Victoria. It stands 823 feet above sea level and gives and provides, again, breathtaking views of the city. I'm very much into vistas, so why would we not have done that? It was a very, it was a lovely day too, very, very nice. So Arthur's Seat is the remnant of an now dormant volcano. I've mentioned volcanoes now for the second time. It erupted between 350 and 400 million years ago. I, I, I was hoping that it wouldn't be erupting while we climbed it. <laughs> It, it, it's a, quite a challenging uphill climb. You need to be fairly fit through uneven, muddy paths and rocky outcrops. But the views on the way there and when you reach the peak, quite magnificent. It really is Arthur's seat. So there's a real sense of achievement when you get to the top. It takes about the best part of 45 minutes to an hour. Beautiful sunny day for the most part, although it was quite a strong wind quite a relentless wind but we loved it up and back took us a couple of hours or so but we we then walked the kilometer or so up the royal mile well obviously it's a mile so it's more than a kilometer 1.609 if you like thank you to enjoy afternoon tea at the tower restaurant on the fifth floor of the national museum of scotland now national we've spoken about the tower restaurant before you're yeah. a big fan oh yeah oh yeah once again when you get to eat and drink at the sort of royal... Well, when you get to the Tower Restaurant, you've got a great view of Edinburgh Castle. And the restaurant was opened in 1998, so relatively new compared to the history that I've spoken about. Seats, 70 people, open from 10 to late daily, except Christmas and Boxing Days, for brunch, lunch, afternoon tea and dinner. And because it's so popular, it's best to book on the half hour a fortnight ahead. Yeah, I kid you not. You you sort of to just to make sure you get in, make sure you plan this so you could go to the National Museum and then you can have let's say afternoon tea like we did at the restaurant, right? Did now, they get? Did you get booked in by Visit Scotland or someone? Did someone yeah, take we, care of this for you? Yeah, we we basically we we left all of our planning to the the, the people who were good at doing this. I mean, Visit Scotland is the way to determine how to get about Scotland, and so if I'm telling you to do that. They needed to do it for me. So they did, and my wife, which was terrific. So afternoon tea is £18.95 per person and £25.95p if you want the best champagne included. Mm -hmm. and, okay, so you can double that, right? So £19 approximately is, what, 40 bucks or 50 bucks, depending whether or not you want champagne. The delicacies consist of a selection of eight teas from the Rare Tea Company, along with open and closed seasonal sandwiches, mini quiche, fruit and cinnamon scones, Cornish clotted cream, strawberry jam, no shortage of fresh cakes and desserts in a refined setting, all the while looked after by attentive waiters. Huh. 
Yeah, it was it was lovely. It was, Sounds like you were spoiled rotten. Yeah, we were. Okay. Senior manager Stephen Allen, who I'm going to give a big plug to, perfect host. And uh, look, in fact, last year, Scotland celebrated the year of food and drink, showcasing the wonderful local produce and gastronomy that the country has to offer. And the food is quite wonderful. So, and the fantastic range of high quality produce, world class restaurants, many of which we passed to satisfy the appetite of even the most seasoned foodie. And and we left the Tower Restaurant around about five o'clock, uh, which, so we, we what, spent about an hour and a half there eating afternoon tea. So it's quite a leisurely sort of affair, which is what it should be. Absolutely delightful. And then we stopped in a number of shops along the Royal Mile, which specialise in beautiful, soft cashmere scarves and rugs and tartans, and also whiskey. Yes. Now, we talk about whiskey... We then found ourselves on an hour-long guided walking tour of the real Mary King's Close at 5.45 p.m., right? So we left the Tower Restaurant at 5 o'clock. We then stopped in, had a look at the various shops, and then we went on this guided tour. The real Mary King's Close is a warren of underground streets and spaces. Now, back in the 1600s, Mary King's Close and neighbouring closes were at the heart of Edinburgh's busiest and most vibrant streets. We had a dry, humid guide called Cara. She said about 30,000 people lived there. Now it houses only 4,000. So back in the 1600s, yeah, what's that? Sort of it had uh, eight times the population that it does now. And Cara took us underground, let our imaginations wander as she described what it was like to live there without proper sanitation, crowded together and always subject to diseases like the Black Plague, if you don't mind. So, Ooh. yeah, exactly. The tour was, was quite evocative, most worthwhile. And one thing, you can't take photos. At the end of the tour, they take a photo of you, which you can purchase for a couple of pictures for 20 Australian dollars. Really very, very reasonable. We talked about the cost of various things in Dubai. Uh, it's like chalk and cheese, right? So, I mean, I think that's very reasonable to get a professional photograph or a couple of professional photos for 20 Australian dollars. And it, it's a real special treat because the, the, there's a special Mary King's Close cover. So you've got the cover and you've got the photograph. So that, would, that was our, our sort of second day in Scotland. Before now, you go on, Alex, you were over there, if I remember rightly, it was late in the year or early in the year. It was, it was winter over there, wasn't it? It was. It was winter. It was when we arrived, I'm just trying to remember, when we first arrived in Scotland, it was around about six degrees, mm -hmm. right? So we were there in December, 19th of December, 20th of December. That's the sort of uh, time frame that we're talking about. But, I mean, look, we haven't got to that part of the story. I didn't find it particularly prohibitively cold. I mean, it, as I said, it was windy when we were sort of climbing Arthur's Seat, but we, we went, well, later in the journey, we got down to minus 31.5, and this was six degrees, mm. right? Okay, so it's all comparative, isn't it? How early did it get dark, though? Uh, from recollection, when we left the Tower Restaurant at five o'clock, it was, it was starting to get dark right. by then. But that's no different to Australia. Yeah. No, I know if you go over there in the height of summer, it, like the sun comes up at, at insane hour, like 4.30 in the morning, and it, and it doesn't go down till 10 o'clock at night. So it does make a big difference uh, later in the year. 
It does. No doubt if you want to do something and you want to see the outside in lights, but of course, in sort of natural daylight. But I mean, the lights at night are rather special. And that, in fact, that night that we'd done all these other things and, and had the beautiful afternoon tea, Visit Scotland hosted us to an hour-long show in the Spiegel tent. So it's not just Australia that has Spiegel tents, of course. You and your Spiegel tents. Everywhere Alex goes, there's a Spiegel tent. Exactly. If you, if you Every- haven't been listening to us for ages, Alex is a huge fan of them, and, I, and I, it, it amuses me. I, I play a little game with myself. How many more episodes will it be before there's another Spiegel tent entrance? Well, look, to be honest, the, the them obviously were created quite some time ago, and I, I know ones in Melbourne have been sort of carted over. They're centuries old. I, I could just imagine how difficult would be to transport to make sure that they arrive securely without any damage. But it, it was a feature of Europe. I mean, there's no question about that. And and we saw a show called Scotch and Soda. Bit cheeky, bit raucous, combined jazz musos with supremely talented circus acts and acrobats. And the tent was packed. Now, we're only talking... Uh, th- these you know, hold a couple of hundred people. Mm-hmm. So it was packed, and the show put a smile on all of our faces. It, it made for a really memorable 60 minutes. Often, when you go to these sort of Spiegel tent shows, they're relatively short. I actually think there's a trend now. Apart from seeing, like, full musicals and, and plays that I talk to you about as well, and I, I, I talk to you about those on our other f- podcast, which is called Movies First... I've noticed a trend in the last few years of short shows without interval, and I like them. It means that you can fit more into your day, and at, at times I think an interval, as, as good as it is when you're seeing a two-and-a-half-hour show, when you're seeing something for 60 minutes or even 80 or 90 minutes, you can do it without interval, and it, it puts more hours into the day. So I, I'm, I'm, I don't know whether this is a trend that is picking up around the world, but it's certainly apparent in Australia to me, and... I felt totally comfortable with this Scotch and Soda show. I hope it comes to Australia at some point because it really is excellent, really great talents and uh, and most amusing as well. So that was how we ended our, our second day. Now, our first port of call the following day, which was the Sunday, the 21st of December, was the Palace of Holyrood House, which I mentioned the official Scottish residence of the Queen, positioned at the bottom end of Edinburgh's Royal Mile against the spectacular backdrop of Arthur's seat, which we climbed the day earlier. The Royal Apartments, where the Queen hosts state ceremonies and other official occasions, are infused with centuries of history. They've been responsible for many important events throughout the life cycle of Scotland, probably best known as the home of Mary, Queen of Scots. And the setting for the most dramatic episodes in her reign, culminating in the brutal murder of her secretary. Now, an audio tour was included in the price of admission, gave us insights into the various rooms, many of which are quite ostentatious, resplendent with furniture and furnishings and and portraits. So that is worth seeing, the Palace of Holyrood House. We had a sandwich lunch, we just sort of stepped stepped into a little place that we saw, great little diner on the Royal Mile called Mrs McIntyre's. It's at 12 High Street, served delicious and inexpensive sandwiches. So just a bit bit of a plug. We didn't know what what was there, but we just sort of went into Mrs McIntyre's. And we, we then made our way to the other end of the long road where we took, and this is why I mentioned the Scotch and whiskey or the whiskey yesterday, we took a, a, a Scotch whiskey tour called the Scotch Whiskey Experience. Are you a whiskey drinker? I, To be honest, I'm a non-drinker. 
mm-hmm. right? My wife drinks whiskey, but I, I, I don't. So anyway, I was interested because obviously Scotland and whiskey go hand in hand or hand in glove. And a, a tour guide gives you a history of whiskey, how it's made, and includes an eight-minute introduction by way of a ride, which I really didn't expect, with a fictitious gent of yesteryear who appears by way of hologram. I, I thought, gee, this is quite something. So you get a this guy who guides you in an eight-minute introduction, and there's whiskey tasting. And the tour finishes by revealing the largest private whiskey collection in the world. What's I'm not the address kidding. again? Yes. Well, just go to the Royal Mile, go to the Scotch Whiskey Experience. There are th- more than 3,000 bottles of whiskey. That is amazing. In this huge, beautiful space, some of them extremely rare, beautifully displayed in a series of glass cabinets. So... I would highly commend the Scotch whisky experience to you. And yes, indeed, you can imbibe and then you can sort of hopefully make your way home safely or to the hotel where you're staying, in our case, the May Maison. So that was Edinburgh. And unfortunately, I mean, two nights is is really not enough. I mean, it gives you a taste of Scotland fully, the pun fully intended. We we simply have to get back there to see those things we didn't get to in Edinburgh and elsewhere. In Edinburgh alone, the things we didn't see, the Scottish Parliament, the National Museum, although did we, we did have the, the afternoon tea, we didn't see the, the museum. Forget the, the culture, give me the cake. Exactly. The Scottish National Portrait Gallery, the Writers' Museum, they're just some of the things. The people there, to a person, extremely helpful and friendly and welcoming, Beautiful, beautiful city. Easy to get around, superb architecture, natural beauty, natural features, as I say, very green. Look, the the beautiful architecture is a counterpoint to the rich, thick, lush green grass that we saw as we wandered around Edinburgh. And, And it really was a brilliant place to see. I would highly commend it to you. I would... Yes, also recommend the May May Somme. There, there was an interesting story when we were there. Uh, we, we were actually, this has not happened to me before, mm-hmm. and we, we were woken up at 2 a.m. one of the nights we stayed there with the fire alarm going off in our room. Oh, and I hate our, that. That's happened to me once in a hotel, and I hated it. I, I, please don't think that I'm doing anything but commending the May May Somme. They handle it very, very yeah. well. We, we walked the three floors downstairs, and we were mustered outside. Now, it was the middle of winter, right? So, <laughs> and, and, and we were there with the, until the fire brigade arrived and ushered back into our rooms 10 minutes later. Now, uh, how, does I, how do I tell this story? I, I don't sleep with clothes on. Ah, uh-huh. okay. <laughs> right, so... Let's turn you into a whiskey drinker pretty yeah. quick. <laughs> <laughs> So it was a very funny experience, uh, to say the least, because when a fire alarm goes off, uh, you, you don't dawdle and you don't sort of put on your fi- your finery, shall we say. But anyway, I inquired... Oh, as long as you put something on, it's all good. <laughs> yes, well, uh, indeed. I inquired in the morning, by the way, found out that it happened to be the fire alarm was triggered by one of the guests who was inebriated and had tried to r- wrestle the smoke alarm from the ceiling. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent <laughs> work, that man. Which set it off, you can imagine. And and the hotel manager was none too pleased. So, yeah, I, I, would, I, I just thought it was a great place to stay. 
But uh, I had to tell that story at my expense because, uh, yes, it was it was interesting. And, and I reckon when you get the unexpected, it, do, it does make your trip all oh, that yeah. much more special. So, uh, yes, yeah. there we go. Can, that can was the main song. Can I fire a question or two about Edinburgh your way? Please. Uh, when you go to a city like Edinburgh, does it really stand out? Bearing in mind, you know, we live in Australia where we're lucky to have buildings in many places that are more than 60 or 70 years old. I appreciate you're, in, you're based in Melbourne and there are some buildings that go back to the 1800s, but the vast bulk of our architecture is 20th, mid to late 20th or even 21st century. Yeah. When you're in a place like Edinburgh, which dates back in some parts, as you said, to the 10th and 11th century, do you, do you find yourself breathtaken by that repeatedly as you wander around the place? Absolutely. And in fact... I mentioned to you how I loved the British architecture overall and how London was splendid. Edinburgh is totally different in terms of you know you're in, you certainly know you're in another country. But you also know because of the greenery and and so forth around you. Bear in mind at that point we hadn't gone outside the centre of London. When we did, some of the imagery that I will talk to you about next will come to the fore in term, terms of rural England as well. But it, it's it's really special. And again, even I mean the accents, of course, immediately are different. So this is the thing I loved about Europe that within an hour. You're in a different country. And I mentioned it was an hour and a half. Well, it was actually 80 minutes, the flying time, from sort of London to, to Edinburgh. And, and you, you've got a different feel to the place. Of course, London is chock-a-block full of people. With Edinburgh, there, uh, there, was, there was room to, much more room to breathe, shall we say, because it, there wasn't a surfeit of people, uh, and, and especially in midwinter. So it was quite leisurely. And it wasn't as hustle and bustle as London was. Mind you, because Melbourne and Sydney are big, getting to be big cities, and in fact we will be the size of London, they're predicting, in, in not too many years, I like city atmospheres. But it was, it was a, a place that I suppose the Royal Mile, where we spent most of our time walking back and forth, I mean, that is a step back in time. And most of the place, and this is why the May Maison stood, stood out to me as well. I mean, who would have thought that a a sort of a house of ill repute, a bordello, call it what you will, would have made such a special treat when, you know, a century or so later, somebody gets to stay there. I, this is, I like hotels with character. I like places that ooze history. And again, when you're sort of doing a Mercat tour or when you're doing a St Mary's Close, when you're doing those sorts of things and you, you step back and you're told about how people lived. I mean, bear in mind that uh, they used to throw refuse out people's windows, right? And, I mean, if, if you happen to be underneath, you may be, um, be spoilt for choice in terms of what comes down on top of you. Obviously, sanitation w was something that, that changed over the centuries. But being told about all of those things is what a trip should be all about. I, I look forward to seeing grand architecture. I look forward to hearing and seeing living history. I mean, that's why you, you travel. I, I know that you can go and see all of the things that you're about to do. You can go and see Disneyland and you can go and see places like that, which are modern and are very nice in and of themselves. But I like stepping back and seeing how people lived in bygone eras. And that's why Europe is such a, a marvellous place to see, because it, it has history that dates back thousands of years, not just the couple of hundred that we have here in Australia. Of course, before the 
the coming of Captain Cook, etc., uh, the Aboriginal is had lived in Australia for forty to fifty thousand mm. years. So, I mean, it, I reckon it'd be interesting to get a tour of Australia based on black man's culture, based on the Aboriginal and Indigenous culture, because I'm sure you'd hear a lot more about how it was back then that you'd never hear that the Europeans tell you about because we weren't here. Well, that's for sure. That's for sure. I have one other question to wrap up this week's edition of Travel First, Alex, and this relates to food. It's, it's a multi-part question. Mm -hmm. uh, and I appreciate that uh, you were only in Edinburgh for a couple of days, so you didn't get necessarily a chance to try all the gastronomic delights of Scotland. But I do wish to ask, while you are in Scotland, did you find or were you tempted to uh, sample haggis? Yes, I was. I did not, but I was certainly tempted. And it's something next time when we get back there, I hope to be able to do. And likewise, did you find or were you tempted to sample a deep-fried Mars bar? No, I was not even <laughs> vaguely tempted. Uh, I'm into health and fitness, and I figured that I could not bring myself. It, it seems to me to be a, a meeting of two foods that are good in, of themselves, in and of themselves. In other words, chips or a Mars bar, the combination, no, it doesn't really have the appeal shall we say, that perhaps Haggis does. Yeah, yeah, I do like the fact that the Mars company once said that they don't like deep frying their products because it goes against their commitment to healthy, active lifestyles. <laughs> but that's probably a discussion that we can have well, for another time. Did you? Did, I, I, this is the past week. One of the news stories was a combination of ice cream, chips and various other things. This gourmet delight is now being offered apparently in Australia. Mm. Mm. Yes, I, I I looked at it and yeah, I, I I sort of I despair. Maybe maybe nothing is sacrosanct anymore. And the whole idea, I think this is what these cooking programs have done. They introduce tastes, you know, sweet and sour, and then they add other bits and pieces. So you're combining four and five things. Is anything no longer off the record? Is nothing? To not to be tasted anymore. Do we? Do we, you need to have a gut ache? Basically, is my question. Anyway, that's it depends. Just... It depends on what you're trying to make the hero of the dish. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. No, 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 look, I suppose less is more. So if you try a mouthful or two, uh, I, look, I, I think a Mars bar is a is a is a beautiful thing in and of itself. I think hot chips are beautiful in and of themselves, and never the twain shall meet. There we go. Valuable culinary advice from... But, but Scotland, Scotland is a place that you do go for gastronomic delight. So, you know, it, that's why the year of food and drink last year, I thought it was a terrific celebration and it was great that it was, you know, while we were there or, or soon after we were there, uh, that the year was celebrated in that way. And, I, I mean, look, most... You can do foodie tours. I mean, I think it's a great place. You know, you can do walking tours, which which have food as the centrepiece. And we, we've done this in various cities and it gives you morsels of delight and then you can go back and and uh, and partake in more than just a morsel excellent mm. Mm. so go to go to scotland folks have, have check it out for yourself if you're in london i would imagine that probably let, let's say you spend a couple of weeks in london i reckon you could certainly spend very easily and i mean you can see more than edinburgh of course in scotland uh, but you could very easily spend a week in scotland and a week in ireland Right. I mean, very easily. So if you had a four week trip, you could not leave English speaking countries. You'd then have to go back and do continental Europe, wouldn't you? 
Well, indeed. But we'll catch up about continental Europe down the track. And we have more on London and uh, the southern parts of the UK to come, don't we? We do indeed. We'll, we'll catch up with you next week and talk about a bit more of London before we go to Prague. And that's all to look forward to on a future edition or indeed on future editions of Travel First. Alex First, always a pleasure to take a journey around the world with you by way of words. Likewise, Chris, and I look forward to doing it all again in seven days. He's Alex First. I'm Chris Coleman. Don't forget, you can find us on Facebook as well. Just search for Travel First. You've been listening to Travel First. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the full podcast at Audioboom, Stitcher and iTunes or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bikes.com. Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows.